Hello, and welcome to What is Innovation? The podcast that explores the reality of a word that is in danger of losing its meaning altogether. This podcast is produced by Outlast Consulting, LLC, a boutique consultancy that helps companies use innovation principles to solve their toughest business problems. I'm your host, Jared Simmons, and I'm so excited to have Sam Bond. Sam Bond is the Chief Operating Officer at Joe, the leading mobile ordering and reward solution powered by Independent Coffee. Prior to joining Joe, Sam was the Southeast Regional Director for Lyft, starting Lyft's Southeast office in 2016 and growing it from a team of one at his kitchen table to over 100 employees across seven cities in the Southeast. Prior to joining Lyft, Sam held internal and client consulting roles at Coca-Cola as well as Bain & Company in Atlanta. He served in the U.S. Marine Corps from 2003 to 2008. While deployed to Iraq across two tours of duty totaling 18 months, he was a scout sniper platoon commander and a regimental intelligence officer. He graduated with honors with an MBA from the Darden Graduate School of Business Administration at the University of Virginia and received his undergraduate degree from Princeton University. He lives in Atlanta with his wife, Margaret, and children, Ellie and Walker. Sam, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks, Jared. Appreciate you having me on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that bio is uh, inspiring and exhausting all at once. How did you do all that? And thank you for your service as well. So appreciate that. I appreciate the, the kind words. Yeah. We had an opportunity to meet at Coca-Cola, but our paths crossed for a brief period and always stood out as somebody who was pragmatic, but also forward thinking. And uh, that's a tough balance to strike. And, uh, and so I've always appreciated our opportunities to work together, but also a, a great guy and a good friend. And I appreciate you making the time. Likewise, man. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm thrilled to be here and excited to have our conversation today. All right. So let's dive right in. What is innovation? So innovation is where inspiration meets experimentation. Mm. If you forgive the, the tendency to rhyme, um, <laughs> I like to put those like two it. key ingredients together. Mm. Inspiration and experimentation. Yeah. I like it. I like it. And tell me more about, so let's, let's just, let's just break it down. Like the consultants we are, right? <laughs> exactly. So tell me about the inspiration piece. What does inspiration look like? So inspiration can come in a variety of forms, right? Mm -hmm. I think some people, when they hear that word, think of the version that arrives unexpected in the middle of the night. Mm, like the bolt of lightning. The bolt of lightning, yeah, yeah. right? And that is certainly one way that inspiration can happen. But it's also frequently delivered through something a little bit more mundane, sort of changes in routine, happenstance, but, but often it's also arrived at deliberately. Mm. When you dig into data or you take a fresh lens at a client or a customer problem, mm -hmm. regardless of whether it's the bolt of lightning version or you know, when you finally run the model the fifth time with a different set of cohorts, and then something jumps and that's, it is that light bulb moment, but it can come in a variety of different forms. Mm, right, right. I love that, that differentiation because there is a moment of inspiration. The question is, I guess there's almost sort of an instant inspiration and a slow inspiration, right? Where you're digging through the data and then the lightning bolt comes after six months of digging through the data, or you just sit bolt up right in your bed and go, that's it, you know? But I think you're right. I think the, you know, analysis, the digging in, the slow consideration element 
that precedes that inspiration, that moment of inspiration, I think is often underappreciated and, and under discussed, which can lead people to just wait for that inspiration instead of going out and finding it. Yeah, I think that's the hazard, especially for innovators and entrepreneurs who have benefited from the lightning bolt version early or often. Mm -hmm. And I think it can tend towards thinking that's the only way or over-relying on that kind of divine or yeah. fortunate delivery mechanism. Right, right, right. Yeah, which give you the false sense of security that the next one will come just as easily or, you know, you don't have to do the things to put yourself in position to get that inspiration. I hadn't thought about that. That's a great point. So tell me about the, tell me about the other piece. So experimentation mm -hmm. is deliberate. The reason I chose that is it really suggests the process mm -hmm. and it suggests repetition and iteration. There is no shortage of good ideas. There's no shortage of people who have sat bolt upright and said, man, why is it that, you know, fill in the blank. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times confusing inspiration with innovation leaves those great ideas just stranded, uh, right? Mm -hmm. And so what I've learned and, and continue to see every day, you know, not only in my current role, but in previous roles is the good idea, the insight isn't enough. Mm. And a lot of times what you think that breakthrough is that, that first inspiration, when you commit to delivering, when you start to develop the marketing campaign, when you put pen to paper, designing the new version of the product, right? you get through versions one and two and the innovation, the real breakthrough happens when you test and learn and you take that initial sort of divine spark and then you run it through to the point where, okay, it's actually got traction. It's really delivering value mm -hmm. and it's still not over. Right. right? <laughs> like the scientific side of it, the reason I, I, you know, I thought experimentation is the thing is you also have to not only test it and revise, you have to be okay with stuff failing. Mm -hmm. You have to be okay with the versions of the product that don't work. Right. And you have to have a plan in place to learn what you're supposed to learn and adjust your hypothesis and keep working at it. I mean, I think if you look across the organizations that try to foster innovation, I think it's very telling that they are often called innovation labs. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, I think that's as right. clear an indicator as you can find that the smartest minds and the, and the most successful entrepreneurs and innovators out there realize that you have to have the process and the iteration for it to actually break through. It can't just be the good idea. Right. Right. I love the experimentation piece because you're exactly right. The inspiration can get left on the shelf or get dusty and obsolete, you know, if it's not plugged into the back half of your definition of innovation, which is experimentation. I also love that you used experimentation and not implementation, because I think what you're describing is a really neat balance of, you know, go to market with questions. Go to market with a clear focus and attention on the problem and the levers you're testing. Don't just go to market because you think this lightning bolt idea is perfect and all it needs is to be on every shelf in, in America, because that's where innovation goes to die. You know, you put something out without that experimental mindset, and it's very easy for small, seemingly insignificant things to break your model, break your mm -hmm. business model, break the, you know, the chain of the delivery of the benefit. 
So that's why I really like your definition and what it, what it sort of represents, not only, like you said, in terms of a definition of innovation, but a way of thinking about work. Yeah. I think when you juxtapose experimentation, implementation, you know, you do need to implement mm -hmm. that isn't as a sort of a requisite downstream thing. But what I've found is when the focus not only shifts to, but sticks on the implementation side, you end up in process for process sake. Yes. You end up in a lot of things that just maintain status quo and sort of hold the line. Mm -hmm. And so that's, to me, that's, you know, that is not the part that is the key ingredient for innovation. Yeah. Well said, well said. Well, that's easy. That's clear. You made it very easy for everyone. What innovation is. Now tell us what it isn't. Innovation is not linear. Mm. And I actually think you kind of teed up the thing that I like to try to remember mm. and hold at the forefront, especially in my career, as I've, I've been able to get closer to earlier stage sort of growth style operations and problems where you're not given a playbook, right? Is you have to get comfortable with a little bit of a little bit of chaos, right? You have to, <laughs> and I, you know, I, we were both at, at, at Coke for, for a period of time. And I think mm -hmm. to use that as a, uh, to use Coke as an example of a, of an established longstanding company with lots of process and established criteria and rules and frameworks, mm, yep. and you can execute and repeat. You can kind of rinse and repeat based on those same rules. And certainly a lot of the charts and estimates that I drew as a consultant had tend to have straight lines going into the future, right? right. And, and, and generally going up. <laughs> yeah, generally up and to the right. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of one of those running jokes about like, mm. when does the five-year forward-looking projection in five years actually look like the line you drew? It's almost never, right? but it's also a hard thing to model. But I think the point is if you assume mm -hmm. generally that just continuing to do that same process and continuing to do the things that got you to point A, that'll drive you to B and then on to C, extrapolating that in a linear fashion, like it's, it just doesn't work. What almost always tends to happen is a degradation. You either lose out to a competitor who is more nimble or tries more new things or you develop vulnerabilities in your supply chain or your cost structure because you're not continually testing and trying new. And so if you think that you just sort of set and forget an innovation process, that you sort of take it for granted and you think it's just going to continue delivering, I think that's a mistake. Mm. And so that's why over time, innovation is not linear. It's kind of got a little bit of a tango or a dance yeah. to it, like the two steps forward, one step back type of thing. I think that's important to remember. And I think it's also important to recognize that because I think getting comfortable with the experiment that doesn't mm -hmm. work, getting <laughs> yep. comfortable with failure yep. is that key ingredient to innovation. I think a lot of folks, particularly early on, if you've never put yourself out there with an idea mm -hmm or a product or a campaign and had it not go to plan, I think that fear is tough to overcome. I think that's why innovation doesn't come easily to everyone. Mm. Now, great point. Innovation, you know, comes with risk. You expose yourself to a certain amount of that and fear comes with risk. So I, I, I love that, that it's not linear and that you almost have to sort of acknowledge and embrace the fact that 
you have to proceed with confidence in an unknown high risk environment. And that's just part of the game, part of the process. Yeah. And I like the way you talk about process when you talk about innovation. Yeah. Because a lot of people talk about services and products when they talk about innovation. Any thoughts on why you might think about process as you talk about innovation versus the product or the service? You know, when I was, when I was at Coke, um, there were a lot of fantastic engineers, Six Sigma folks talk a lot about, you know, on the supply chain side of things in particular, right? Right. And so I hadn't had a ton of supply chain experience prior to Coke. But one of the things that I learned as I got into the, you know, supply chain strategy side of things and working closely with a lot of process-oriented folks is process doesn't have to be a bad thing. Right. To be clear, over the course of my career, anytime the guardrails feel like they're getting really tight, that's when I start to feel uncomfortable. And so I think early on when I would hear process, in particular when I was working with a lot of industrial engineers mm. who were all about inputs and outputs, yep. that was a thing that was uncomfortable for me. Mm. I have always liked the opportunity to freewheel, to improvise. Mm -hmm. Some of that's personality type. Some of that's just, you know, it goes all the way back to even, you know, how I learned, you know, how I learned music earlier on. Like I, I didn't, mm -hmm. I didn't love reading from the sheet. I liked, you know, improv. Mm -hmm. So it took me a little while to get comfortable with embracing that necessity right. of having some process, but a product or a service just doesn't appear out of anywhere, right? That right. the innovation of, you know, the new product or the new delivery mechanism for content that may have started with inspiration, right? Right. But it, but it didn't just happen. It didn't just appear out of nowhere. And so that's why I think focusing on the process that delivers it, mm -hmm. delivers the brand new you know, the newest generation, whether it's earbuds or, you know, all the new drink innovations that are out there, like all of those things had a process behind them. Yep. And I think if you don't focus on that, then it gets back to what we talked about earlier, which is just sort of inspiration left unfulfilled. Mm -hmm. well, that's, that's a great point. Thank you for that. And it really sort of crystallizes the mindset because that definition makes the product or the service the outcome of innovation and not the innovation itself. Exactly. Which I think is, is something that's important when you talk about replicating things and understanding what true risk is in respect to innovation. So speaking of risk and innovation, we're recording this in July of 2021 in the midst of what we hope is a very rapid recovery from a, a global pandemic. How does that impact innovation in your mind? Well, it's interesting. I will kind of fall back on my own experience, but I think, you know, many of the of your listeners will probably be able to follow along because it probably tracks with their experience. I think one key ingredient to making inspiration more likely is is a change in the environment, right? Mm. If you have a if you have a status quo and then you incorporate a new variable, then all of a sudden there's impacts. Mm -hmm. So if I think back to, you know, where I was in February of 2020, things looked very different. There were <laughs> offices and commutes. Right. There was in-person school. No, it wasn't even in-person school. That was a, not a, it was school. <laughs> right. 
Right. I, I mean, it, it, and, and so, yeah. you know, I think when you bring in that change, and in this case, you know, unfortunately, it was a pandemic that's caused, you know, hundreds of thousands of deaths, if not millions, I can't even remember where the global tally is at this point, but radical changes to everyday life, right? And so mm-hmm. I think what that incident did was it created the opportunity for lots of innovation, right? For a variety of reasons. One, everyone was impacted in some way by the shutdowns, by the, by the pandemic. And yes. many people have either themselves or had loved ones that suffered with the virus. And so that causes moments of reflection, thinking about things, right? You, mm. for me personally, one of the, you know, really major, I guess, you know, inspirations or recognitions that I had as a consequence of the shutdown was how much the ability to have kids in school and have them supervised and instructed and nurtured mm how much, you know, I had taken that for granted. Mm. And then come April, when there's no opportunity to go back in school and, and, you know, teachers and school boards are trying to figure out how do we, you know, educate our kids, how do we support them? Right. So then all of a sudden, everybody's doing what we're doing right now, right? They're on computers and doing that video chat instruction. And then it's, well, okay, then I'm confronted with how do I support my 10-year-old and my seven-year-old in this new experiment? How is the school leaning in? You know, how are people thinking differently about this? And so then I think a lot of the trends you've seen in technology during the lockdown, I think it's been an acceleration Mm. of everything from video teleconferencing to delivery services to mobile ordering and order ahead. You have all these things that like maybe there was a trend line generally, you know, up and to mm-hmm. the right in terms of adoption of these things. And it was the pandemic and the lockdown that really jolted a lot of people into new ways of thinking, new ways of living day to day that accelerated a lot of those trends. And anytime you have that type of acceleration and displacement, there's all sorts of pockets of inspiration or insight that are out there. And I think we've seen, you know, tons of examples of companies, organizations, leaders, entrepreneurs that have been able to take advantage of that and deliver, you know, great value and impact as a consequence. Mm -hmm. As we kind of think about that, and I think you're exactly right. It's a fertile environment for innovation. It's an unfortunate, obviously unfortunate situation. But when you think about some of the things that came out of world wars, uh, technologies that came out of the cold war, we have these things that are thrust upon us that cause us to suffer. I think innovation is a great way to, you know, find meaning in that suffering and as a human race, try to move forward, you know, out of it with something positive. And I wonder, you know, how much of what is going on, you know, like you said, it's an acceleration, you know, it's kind of like, you know, a six-year-old on a bicycle going faster is good up to a point, right? And so, (laughs) and so I wonder how many of these sort of food delivery services, laundry delivery services, et cetera, et cetera, are, you know, are the six-year-old on the bike going downhill, you know, and, uh, you know, wondering if they have any brakes. And, and that, it comes back to your definition of innovation, where, you know, I don't know that everybody had the opportunity to do the experimentation yeah. and to work on the process instead of the product or the service to be able to say, okay, as things move to a new equilibrium, this is going to be a sustainable business model, or this is going to be a sustainable, you know, service. I think that's, that's to me is, is a big question coming out. I mean, as we try to find this new way of, of living together. Yeah, hundred percent agree. And I think when it comes to 
what organizations or where can innovation really take hold, right? I think the nature of experimentation, there's no restrictions on who can be inspired. Yeah. But if you think about what it takes to actually run the second part and to experiment, mm -hmm. one of the things that we've seen, you know, at Joe is small independent coffee shops. You know, there are tons of tasks and so much on the plate of like a small business owner mm. that there's potentially, you know, at some level, there's a little bit less room to, to run the experimentation side of it, right? It can feel a little bit more frenetic. And I think, you know, this is something that we've seen. We're talking about delivery services and a lot of large corporate players in particular in the restaurant space, but this mm -hmm. it's not exclusive to there. Mm -hmm. They already had the lab in the background that could help power the innovation and the experimentation. I see. Yeah. And so that runs the risk of having sort of a rich get richer outcome uh, in terms of if you already had the technical infrastructure in place to run marketplaces, to leverage data, to do all these things and capitalize on these trends and move quickly. It's kind of an interesting, it's like a turning on its head. Like in theory, the larger companies, you know, move slower or may mm -hmm. not be able to adjust to it. But at some point, it's just having access to the insight faster and having some infrastructure in place allows you to capitalize. Whereas if you run an in-person retail business and all of a sudden you can't, period, right. have an in-person retail experience. <laughs> exactly. So then what, right? You're, you're kind of left um, in some cases on your back foot. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I think there's, there's a spectrum of, of outcomes there in terms of you know, small businesses of operators who've been able to adjust and find ways to, to thrive in that new environment. And unfortunately, there's other examples where it didn't work. And for any number of reasons why that ended up being sort of the, the last chapter of that particular story. Right. So yeah, it's definitely a mixed bag in terms of the outcomes. I see. What role does Joe play in helping those business owners innovate? Yeah, what's really exciting about Joe, and this is this is one of the things that as I was coming towards, you know, what ended up being the end of my my tenure at Lyft, which is a, a run that I I loved. I had a blast, you know, you know, helping launch the Southeast market there. Mm -hmm. But I, what it really came down to to me as I was reflecting on the things that got me most excited, it was, you know, number one, is there a mission that I can really get behind? Mm -hmm. Is there something that like when I wake up in the morning and I think about all the things I'm going to do that day. Can I connect my work to something that I can really be proud of? Yep. And so the first part about the opportunity of Joe that was exciting to me is a really ambitious mission and some founders who live it every day because it's very personal to them. Hmm. It's to give, to give small business unfair advantage over corporate giants. Love that. We kind of want to take a perspective, a long held belief, which is like small business is always on unequal footing and always has long odds, we want to flip that script. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that we do at Joe is to provide the thing that an independent operator on his or her own really can't do. Mm -hmm. And that's convenience. So if you, if you step back and think about, you know, why is it that over 70% of people who use the Starbucks app to order ahead, and that was a huge boon to their business in the pandemic, right? 70% mm. or more of those folks have said they would love to support a small business if it was as easy and convenient. Mm. But if you, if you just, you know, close your eyes and think about, you know, hopefully now getting out and about again around town, whether you're going to an office or dropping your kids off at school, as you're moving about, you could have a, a local shop that you love nearby where you know the owner and you've got a, a regular order. 
if you do happen to find yourself across town or across the country, you, you can't literally cannot go to that store. It just mm -hmm. doesn't make sense. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of those people are falling back on that convenience factor, a network I see. to supplement their routine. Right. And so that's one of the cool things that we're able to do at Joe is to deliver the power of that network and the convenience that forever people have thought, well, that's only available to a large chain because it's a large chain. It has a lot of stores. Mm. So I'd say that's that's one way that we are delivering for those independent operators is to, sure. we're, we're providing something that, you know, in the absence of a network of essentially a coalition, you're, you're structurally disadvantaged. And so this is how, you know, we, we feel that's where the unfair advantage comes in too, is because if all of a sudden supporting local business is not only as easy, it might be even easier mm -hmm. than finding the closest Starbucks. Well, then you have all the things that are great about supporting small business. There's the passion that the owners put into that experience. There's the unique flavors, the unique ambiance, and just sort of the knowledge that you're actually able to shop small and do it without it having to be this thing that you sort of do begrudgingly or whenever it's convenient. Right. And then sort of quietly go off and shop corporate when it's not. Right. So anyway, that's what we're doing that gets me so excited. Mm. And the other part that I think is really powerful is when you're able to have that kind of mission, it does something, it does sort of a second ingredient, which I think is really powerful in my experience, which is when you can harness the ability to tap into the underdog mentality. Mm -hmm. And what I've found is if you yourself and the people you work with are motivated, not just because of a mission they can believe in, they can also tap into just a little bit of that proving doubters wrong mentality. Right. Then you can unlock a ton of effort and innovation and inspiration that like drives those kind of breakthroughs. And so we, we're putting that together at Joe and, and it's really exciting. That is exciting. You know, an underdog at scale, what more do you want? As you're describing what you're building, I'm just thinking about, and you can probably have the same stories, you know, from P&G, Coke, McKinsey, all those places I've worked, all the miles I traveled. And all the random towns and cities and places I was in and how begrudgingly went to Starbucks that morning because I knew how to find it. That's where it was. All the things you just described. And I can just imagine for people who are traveling, you know, who have a local shop in their hometown to be able to land on the ground in, you know, middle of nowhere, Missouri and find a coffee shop that, you know, allows them to continue to support the underdog and then get on a plane two days later and never come back there again. That's amazing. And it gives you a, a, almost a, I don't want to say a game, but it gives you a um, sort of a activates your energy in a way, I think that allows you to bring that energy back to your local coffee shop because you're able to be consistent with your values, even when you're not, you know, there supporting the one that's right, right on the corner. Yeah. You said it right. Supporting your values. I mean, that's the thing. That was one of the key insights. That was the inspiration, frankly that drove our co-founders to put in the work and actually try and make this happen. Mm. People do want to shop small, support local business and do all this. They can, they can say and feel, I know it's the right thing. Yeah. And yet, right. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. If, if it doesn't happen to be convenient, then you just sort of set that principle aside. If you're, if you're in the middle of nowhere, Missouri, you can't go to your local shop here in Atlanta, right? That right. doesn't work. Yep. So it was that insight and then a lot of experimentation that mm -hmm. has led to kind of what we're building at Joe, which is, all right, how do we harness what customers, what people want 
what they value most about the experience of you know ordering ahead for coffee and and having that experience. Is it really the quality of the coffee and being able to get it quickly, or is it standing in line and and putting in an order at a point of sale? Right. That's the, right. like there's that's not the part that's great. Right. Right. And so what we're trying to do is is take that element out of it as well as add in the elements of discovery and you know to your point like it, you, you said game it is actually like you you energize it and we put the mechanisms in place to reinforce that right mm-hmm. so if you shop at Sam's Coffee in Atlanta and then you hop into Jared's Coffee in Missouri you have not only your favorite store but you have your points and your loyalty across that whole network mm. we we can actually keep reinforcing that good habit by continuing to make it easier uh. this is the insight that large corporate chains have known for a while and they've right. been doubling down Right. So we're, you know, it's it's fun to be able to start to to empower those underdogs to deliver a similar experience. That is exciting. I'm just all energized and ready to go <laughs> drink some coffee all over the all over the world in tiny cool different coffee shops. I mean, that's the that's the other aspect of this is there was an element of traveling all over these places and still ending up at the same counter basically. You know, like I just flew for 6 hours and landed somewhere and I'm at the same counter that I could be at anywhere. And I think this also gives you an opportunity to sort of get more of a, a local feel for where you are, a sense of place that sort of mirrors, but doesn't match the sense of place you have with your home, with your home shop. So this is really, it's really, really great stuff. Yeah. I love what you said about mirror and not match, right? I think that's the key ingredient. If, if you think about how people make their choices, there's a hierarchy of needs underneath it, right? Mm-hmm. If you're in a rush, the greatest ambiance and best quality coffee in the world isn't going to, you know, make it so that you can wait the 20 minutes that you don't have. Right. 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 Yeah. Now, if you, if you, if you <laughs> exactly. have the time and if you have confidence that whatever's served up to you on a network is going to, you know, have high quality and, and have these, these other things in place, then you can sort of make that purchase decision, all those individual purchase decisions. You can kind of climb the ladder on your hierarchy of needs in a way that, in the absence of that first rung being, is there one here and can <laughs> right. I find it? Yeah. You have to default to sort of a lower order choice. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I think that's the part that gets us really excited is leveling that playing field and hopefully eventually turning it on its head. Ah, love it. Love it. Sam, it, this has been a great conversation. I just, I want to wrap up with one question. I just I can't let you go without asking any advice you might have for future innovators out there. You're, you know, you've had this amazing career and find your way into these exciting and amazing entrepreneurial ventures and things and you know just would love to get your thoughts on uh how innovators might carve out a great career for themselves yeah happy to i i think the most important insight for me in terms of making innovation a a central part of my experience and, and helping my teams succeed and hopefully continue to succeed it's getting comfortable with that misstep right it's getting comfortable with the inspiration and the experiment then fails the first time or maybe fails the second time. Mm-hmm. This was hard for me coming out of consulting where, you know, a lot of it is the expectation is you you dig into the data, you find the inspiration and you deliver the answer. Right. And even if there's like, you know, the implementation phase that comes after, in many cases, as the advisor, you're not necessarily mentally on the hook for the actual (laughs) delivery of the value. And so you have a little bit more comfort in coming up with an idea that may seem a little bit crazy. Mm -hmm. And so when you're the operator, when you're the innovate, when you yourself are the innovator and you own those outcomes, getting past that first mental block of what if this doesn't work out and being able to embrace that and get excited by the Mm -hmm. fact that 
like steps in your innovation journey are going to fail. They have to. Right. And the sooner you can get comfortable with that, the sooner you can double down on, stick to the process, the the experimentation that will eventually deliver the breakthroughs and you know make for successful outcomes. That's it. Get get comfortable with failing and and learn to embrace it because it's going to eventually deliver those those breakthroughs. Well said. One other nugget I pulled out of that was as a leader, the way you talk about innovation, it's clear you expect failures as part of the process. And so I'd imagine it's important for leaders to communicate that if they want to create an innovative environment as well, that the comfort with failure and then the, you know, importance of leaders sort of communicating that that's part of the process. I mean, I think that's, that's great advice. I really appreciate you sharing that. Sam, it was a great conversation. Time just flew by. I appreciate you making the time. It's good to see you again. Uh, good to talk to you again and happy innovating. All the best at Joe. I appreciate it, man. Thanks so much for having me on. It's great to see you too and, and really enjoy the conversation. Thanks for doing this. Thank you. All right. All right. Take care. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this week's show. You can drop us a line on Twitter at Outlast LLC. O-U-T-L-A-S-T-L-L-C or follow us on LinkedIn where we're Outlast Consulting. Until next time, keep innovating, whatever that means.